This episode features dramatizations of gore and body horror and brief discussions of colonialization and forced assimilation. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Please note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Canon Sistanti. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Haudenosaunee legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. Each week, we travel the world in search of the most epic creatures from myth and legend, exploring who they are, where they come from, and what they say about the culture they terrorized. This week, we continue our series on Monsters of Revenge. A murderous creature is bad enough, but things get even worse when they hold a personal grudge. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Today, we encounter a monster that has terrorized indigenous nations across the North American continent. The Canon Sistanti's name is literal. It describes a floating, flying head. Larger than a man and ever hungry, it forms from the bodies of the unjustly slain and pursues those who hurt them. And it will never stop, unless you trick it. Coming up, a head the size of a man emerges from the woods. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. The Canon Sistanti, or Flying Head, is found in the stories of many indigenous peoples and First Nations clans in what is now the northeastern United States and eastern Canada. 
The legend is most common among the five nations of the Haudenosaunee, who are also known by non-natives as the Iroquois Confederacy. The Haudenosaunee is a coalition that originally included the Seneca, Oneida, Cayuga, Onondaga, and Mohawk nations. As white colonialization led to resettlement, they eventually accepted four other indigenous nations into their confederacy, the Tuscarora, Wyandotte, Delaware, and Tutela. The Seneca lands are the farthest west within the Haudenosaunee, while the Mohawk are the farthest east, and the people between and around it all feared the Canon Sistanti. It's described as a massive flying head with thick, dark hair, bat-like wings, and razor-sharp claws beneath its chin. It mostly hunts at night and may appear a few times before taking its prey or leading a victim to some other horrible fate. The Canon Sistanti prefers to attack people when they're isolated, either in small hunting parties or on the outskirts of a village's longhouses. Like guilt, the Canon Sistanti appears most often when we're alone with our thoughts. It's a manifestation of those unjustly murdered, revived for one reason and one reason only. Cold, bloody vengeance. The trouble is, it doesn't seem to remember who harmed it, so it destroys everyone in its path. Aweeyu was one of the Seneca, the Onondoaga, the great hill people. She was met with certain expectations as a result, many of which she was more than happy to keep. Honor the elders and leaders, keep the corn, beans, and squash growing in the fields, and marry someone from another clan. That part was proving to be difficult. It wasn't that she didn't like the idea of marriage or children. Like all Haudenosaunee, she bore responsibility for her community's little ones, and she enjoyed helping out. There were many opportunities to do so, since they all lived together under one long, cylindrical roof. The longhouse was divided into separate compartments on either side of the central corridor. Aweeyu loved watching the children race down the full 200 feet of the longhouse as they scampered off to play. She just wasn't ready for a partner yet, but the clan mother was being very kind and patient about it. Aweeyu was grateful, and she dedicated herself wholeheartedly to every contribution she could make to the clan. She helped teach the children and mended their clothes. She roasted chestnuts and ground the corn. But she couldn't fight the thought that she wasn't doing enough. When her mother and father passed away from fever, Aweeyu was asked to move to an area at the very end of the longhouse, the last compartment before the entrance closest to the woods. Her room was smaller than the rest because it was under the incline in the roof, but she didn't mind. It was cozy, and she got to say hello to everyone as they came in. This gave her a small respite from her intrusive thoughts, the whispers in her mind that she could never give the clan as much as they were giving her. Her favorite time was when the hunters returned. They marched triumphantly, bearing evidence of their success on their backs. But one night, their return was different. She was the first to see the blood, the bruises, and the missing limbs. 
the hunters emerged like spirits of the dead, ashen, staggering, and wide-eyed as they stumbled out of the forest. They seemed to glitter in the faint moonlight as if showered in lake water. But Awe'eyu realized it wasn't water, it was blood. Awe'eyu was no healer, and she was young. She'd been born into the great peace provided by her nation's participation in the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. This was the first time she'd seen a man truly hurt. Tenarison, one of the rising leaders, was covered in wet, dark blood. The man next to him was wailing and writhing, his arm ripped from its socket by some animal too large for Awe'eyu to imagine. She could see his sinew twitching, searching for its other half. The men fell forward, clawing at the grass as if they were drowning. Their backs looked dappled like a fawn, but the prints were made of torn flesh rather than fur. Awe'eyu called for help into the longhouse, then rushed into the woods to see if anyone had been left behind. The moment she stepped into the trees, she paused. A shiver ran up her spine. She felt her chest tighten, and she searched the trees, wheeling around as quickly as she could. But all she saw were leaves and shadows. The shadows seemed too deep, as if they were closing in, as if she could drown in the darkness like she would in water. She forced herself to slow her breath to remember where she was. Then she saw it. A pair of eyes stared at her through the underbrush, glowing as if in firelight. It was hard to judge the distance as they seemed so large, but a dark shape seemed to surround them. Awe'eyu cried for help and found enough strength to run for the longhouse. The entire village had surrounded the injured hunters. Blankets were brought out, poultices were mixed, and fires were stoked. Even the youngest children ran bandages and water back and forth. They all worked so hard. But by daybreak, only two of the 20 hunters had survived. In all the hum of activity, Awe'eyu found herself looking to her clan mother. She stood eerily still, like a tall, wide tree surrounded by buzzing bees. She studied the marks on the hunters' backs, just as Awe'eyu had. The look on her face wasn't recognition so much as resignation. The thought chilled Awe'eyu to her core. It was a tragedy the likes of which the village hadn't seen in a long time. There were discussions of where they should get help and how. Could they spare their leaders to head east and meet their allies around the Great Tree of Peace? They did not know what their hunters had faced. The two survivors had not said a word. Whenever they were spoken to, they flinched as though the speaker's mouth was a monster. Many feared that some new enemy had risen in the West. If they could not handle this threat, what hope was there for the rest? Awe'eyu didn't know what to do. She was half convinced the eyes she'd seen had been a fantasy born by panic. But she hated seeing her clan mother so defeated. It heightened her own worries about her failure to contribute. She had to tell her what she knew. 
As night fell again, Aweeu prepared herself to make her way down the longhouse and tell the turtle clan mother about the creature in the woods. But as she stepped into the hall, she saw that the clan mother had come to see her. The clan mother had seen many seasons, but her eyes were bright and her voice ever steady. She always gave Aweeu the feeling that she'd either done something very wrong or something very right. Aweeu corrected her posture before speaking. Clan mother, I saw something in the woods. She wanted to keep going, but the clan mother finished for her. Eyes bigger than they should be, like a giant peeking out of the ground? Aweeu shivered as the clan mother continued. It is a beast known as the Canonsistanti. It has seen you, pretty flower, and you have seen it. I'm sorry. Aweeu was terrified to ask, but she had to. Clan mother, why? The clan mother's eyes bored into Aweeu. Because it hungers for you now, and we will not be able to protect you when it returns. Coming up, Aweeu discovers the Canon Sistanti's terrifying origins. Massive spiders, fierce crocodiles, violent kangaroos. With all of the dangers lurking within Australia, one species remains feared above the rest. Humans. Hi listeners, it's Alastair from Parcast, and I'm hosting a new Spotify original called Crime Down Under. Every Sunday on Spotify, take a trip to the oldest continent for some of the most shocking true crime cases in modern history. Featuring a compilation of episodes from shows across Parcast Network, Crying Down Under exposes the vicious serial killers, mysterious disappearances, and terrifying crime families whose stories still stop Aussies dead in their tracks. From the beaches and deserts to the cities and suburbs, the land down under may be vast, but the horrors are hiding around every corner. Catch a new episode of Crime Down Under every Sunday. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. Aweeu gasped. The shadowy monster she'd seen in the woods had been scary enough, but now her clan mother was telling her that it would return for her and that her community could do nothing to stop it. She asked the turtle clan mother what she meant, but the older woman answered a question with a question. What shape was it? Do you remember? Aweeu shivered at the thought of looking back, but still she tried. Those fiery, glowing eyes had burned into her very being. She imagined the silhouette once again, the wide, round shadow against the leaves. Was it a face? A real giant, the rest of him buried beneath the earth? The clan mother winced. Worse. No neck, no chest, no limbs. It's only a head. Always hungry, eyes aflame. 
A stunned Awe'eyu looked back into the longhouse. The 18 dead hunters' families were preparing ornate weapons to lay to rest with the hunters. She'd never seen so much pain, and she was incredulous. A floating head did that? Awe'eyu realized the cause for the strange dappling on the hunters' backs. The Kenansistanti had been playing, nibbling. A human's torso was nothing more than a snack to the creature. The clan mother followed her mournful gaze. And it's our fault. Awe'eyu was stunned again. Her people were protectors of the land, stewards of the future for the whole community. How could her people, any people, have anything to do with something so strange and terrifying? The turtle clan mother sat at the entrance to the longhouse, staring out into the dark woods. She patted the space beside her, and Awe'eyu sat too. Then the turtle clan mother asked, do you know the lake to the north? Awe'eyu blinked. There was no lake that she knew of. The clan mother looked out into the forest one more time. Then she told Awe'eyu a story. By the lake to the north, there was a village whose name has been forgotten, home to a clan that is no longer remembered. The winter was especially cruel one year, and the spring especially dry. Fish and game died out. The village was struck by a famine that lasted through the harvest. As winter drew close, the clan met in the council house to find a solution. Some of the young men heard the story of a new hunting ground beyond the lands of a rival clan, but the elders advised against it. They could not move the village's weak, vulnerable members through hostile territory before the freeze, and they had no assurance that the famine would not follow them. The vote was cast, and the village decided not to travel to the new hunting grounds. The young men didn't like that. Though they were in the minority, they decided to change the count by hacking the elders to pieces in front of the rest of the clan. The remaining villagers were too weak from hunger and sickness to interfere. They stood shivering as the young men argued about how to dispose of the elders' remains. They decided to throw them in the lake, since they had no need for it now that they were leaving. They tossed what remained of the elders into the sacred waters and left the blood-soaked council house as it was. Then they told the villagers that they would begin the long trek to their new home tomorrow. But that night, something rose from the lake. What had entered the water was a mound of ragged flesh and broken bones, but what emerged was whole and terrifying. A head as tall as a man, with long, wet hair and fiery eyes. Its teeth were sharp and white behind its fixed snarl. Long, bat-like wings extended from behind its ears, and the monstrous head took to the sky. It dipped low like a great hawk. The young men didn't realize it had talons until it was already upon them, ripping, raking, tossing them up into the air so it could catch them in its horrible jaws. 
But the Canon Sistanti did not stop with the young men. Its hunger was insatiable. The villagers begged for mercy, but the giant head showed no sign of hearing. It simply kept eating, tearing, and destroying. An eerie silence fell over the village as the sun rose. The longhouses lay empty. Both the Canon Sistanti and the villagers were gone. The clan mother concluded her tale. We consider the lake to be cursed, but the flying head expanded its hunting grounds beyond it. To this day, it is seen by victims of future calamity. Sometimes that calamity is the Canon Sistanti itself. Awe Eyu sat stock still, shocked. Clan mother was right. This was a monster of man's own making. Finally, she ventured to speak. What can I do? The turtle clan mother shook her head. I don't know, my child. The Canon Sistanti has not been seen in these parts in years. Awe Eyu perked up. Well, what did people do when they saw it? The clan mother winced. Die, mostly. We all tried to keep them company, but the Canon Sistanti always found them in the few moments they were alone. Horrible accidents befell the others, or they were struck down by mysterious fevers, fevers that only killed those who had seen the creature's fiery eyes. Awe Eyu shivered and thought of her parents, who had died of a strange fever. She had to ask, Did my mother and father see it? Is that why they perished? The clan mother shook her head. I wish I had an answer for you, my dear, but if they saw it, it was their secret. I can only hope they didn't. Awe Eyu fought back tears. Either way, she didn't want to die. She hadn't fully grown yet. She hadn't done enough. And now her very presence was endangering the people she loved. The clan mother placed a gentle hand on Awe Eyu's shoulder. We would never abandon you, pretty flower, but it would be wrong of me to give you false hope. We will do our best to save you, but it may not be enough. The promise was not as comforting as either woman wanted it to be. The turtle clan mother got to her feet. Let us roast some chestnuts and acorns to fight off the cold. Awe Eyu nodded, grateful for the distraction. The clan mother ducked into the back of Awe Eyu's compartment to lay out the nuts for cleaning. She placed one basket at Awe Eyu's feet beside the fire and went back to the table to work on the others. Awe Eyu wrapped her arms around herself and wished she was wearing her winter skins. She turned her gaze from the fire to peer into the forest darkness where, once again, she saw those two monstrous eyes. The Canon Sistanti was waiting, watching her, its eyes glittering as bright as the coals beneath the kindling. They roved between the trees, rising and falling in step with its ragged, breathy moan. 
she heard the slight rustle of bat wings as it inched closer. A well of fear opened up in Aweeyu's stomach. She was in danger, and now her clan mother was too. The turtle clan mother was a leader of her people. If she saw the canon Sistanti, she would be fated to die. That couldn't come to pass. Aweeyu whispered without turning her body, Clan mother, stay back, please. It's here. Aweeyu heard footsteps behind her, but they stopped just short of the doorway to the longhouse. Even if she was hidden away, the clan mother still lent her quiet support. Aweeyu felt a tiny bit of relief. She hadn't doomed her clan out of her own fear, but then the scope of her decision hit her. Yes, she'd saved her clan mother, but now she had to face the Canon Sistanti alone. Coming up, Aweeyu battles a monster her own way. Now back to the story. Aweeyu held her breath. The Canon Sistanti's red, hot gaze was fixed on her. The floating, man-sized head was inching ever closer, like the largest, oddest bird of prey imaginable. Her clan mother waited behind her, hidden by the longhouse's walls, while Aweeyu stood frozen in the doorway. Her cooking fire lay at her feet, the basket of acorns and chestnuts beside it. Aweeyu didn't know what to do, so she did the only thing she could think of, act as if nothing was wrong. She turned her head away from the woods and knelt by the fire. Then she picked up a handful of acorns and chestnuts and dropped them among the warm coals. Even in all her terror, the warm, earthly scent soothed her. She remembered winter story time spent with her many siblings, her clan mother telling the most engaging tales. She could feel the Canonsistanti drawing closer, but she kept her eyes on the nuts and the flames. She sniffed the air, perhaps a little too theatrically. Though her clan mother didn't speak, Aweeyu could feel her presence behind her. It was the only thing keeping her from screaming and running into the longhouse. But if she did, the beast would follow, and she would doom them all. She concentrated on the acorns, which roasted much quicker than the chestnuts. She delicately excavated one from the coals and popped it in her mouth. It was far too hot, and she stifled her wince. She wanted to look strong. The Canon Sistanti inched closer. She could only glance at it out of the corner of her eye, but somehow Aweeyu knew that it was interested, not just in her, but in the fire too, and the nuts. That's when she got a very dangerous idea. She plucked another acorn from the coals, popping it into her mouth, even as it singed her throat a little. She sighed, mm, Delicious. The Canon Sistanti inched closer. Aweeyu could feel its hot breath now, the pungent spittle on its glittering teeth. 
it waited just beyond the rim of the firelight. The floating head's dark hair was still slick with water and blood. She could smell the iron tinge from where she sat. She took another acorn. Her throat ached, but she still pretended to savor it. Mmm. The canon Sistanti came even closer, and the stench from its mouth nauseated Aweeyu. Rot and blood and death. She could feel her clan mother's anger at her own helplessness from behind her. It radiated off the venerable old woman. Aweeyu switched to the chestnuts. Their color had darkened significantly, so it took effort to tell them apart from the coals beneath them. She was afraid they would set her fingers aflame, but when she pushed through her pain to pop one in her mouth, all that was left behind was taut red skin. Welts would come in time, if she survived. She nearly jumped out of her skin when the fire gave a loud pop, Strangely, she felt the Canon Sistanti jump too. Did it fear the fire, even though its eyes burned orange-red? The Canon Sistanti floated closer to the fire, and Aweeyu thought, well, there goes that idea. It was practically on top of her. Still, she could feel its eerie gaze moving from her to the fire to the nuts and back. She popped another chestnut in her mouth. Mm. Mmm, that crackle. Then she heard a wet, slithering sound. The Canon Sistanti's slimy gray tongue snaked out, darting into the coals to draw an acorn into its mouth. Its flexibility and accuracy, along with its girth, made it even more disturbing. Aweeyu willed herself to pay it no mind. She popped another scorching hot chestnut between her lips. Truly delicious. Why, I think I'll eat them all. She heard a slight hitch in the Canon Sistanti's breath. The tongue snaked out again. It took another acorn, then a chestnut. Another, another. Aweeyu realized that she was out of nuts, but the beast was still hungry. She knew what she had to do, so she reached out for a hot coal like it was a chestnut. She closed her fingers around it, feeling her flesh sizzle. The Canon Sistanti's tongue shot out, slurped the coal from her hand, and dragged it between its gnashing teeth. It screamed and cried, choking. It coughed and sputtered, thrashing its wings about uselessly as it rolled around on the ground. It bobbed back towards the woods, leathery wings and talons banging into trees and underbrush. Aweeyu had been absolutely terrified of the creature, but now it looked pitiful, choking and whimpering as it disappeared into the darkness. The turtle clan mother rushed out of the longhouse and pulled Aweeyu in a hug. They both stared out into the woods, fire crackling beside them. Broken branches and torn shrubs were the only evidence a monster had been there at all. 
It became yet another compelling story the clan mother told, the tale of the lone woman who defeated the Canon Sistanti with her nuts and her coals, her patience and her cleverness. And the Canon Sistanti was never seen in Aweeyu's village ever again. If you're a frequent listener, you might notice similarities between the Canon Sistanti and Japan's Gashadokuro, the massive skeleton formed from victims of war and famine that eats everything in its path. Both are destructively hungry, and both are made from the remains of victims of a tragedy. Monsters always tell us what we're scared of, but they can also tell us what we feel guilty about. The origin story of the Canon Sistanti offers a moral about abandoned civic responsibility, intergenerational conflict, and the dangers of failing to compromise. It makes sense that this would be a story of absolute horror for the Haudenosaunee, they were the first democratic society in the Americas, after all, and the Canon Sistanti represents an abject failure of the democratic process. The idea of a female heroine facing off against the Canon Sistanti likewise makes sense. It's common for women to be the heroes in monster stories that derive from matrilineal cultures, and the Seneca and Mohawk are no exception. Just as the cannibalistic Algonquin Wendigo is defeated by a woman who serves it piping hot soup, the Canon Sistanti is scared away from the community by a woman's practice of domestic life, in this case, roasting nuts in a fire. The Haudenosaunee are defined by their value of community and their commitment to what Hiawatha called the Great Peace. While they went to war when needed, they've always been committed to both democracy and compromise. The Canon Sistanti is the antithesis of that, a haunting memory of the cost of violence and a reminder to value community and respect domesticity. It's a lesson that many of us could still stand to learn. Hopefully, we learn it quickly. The sound of those massive wings is getting awfully close. Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with another Monster of Revenge. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Riche, with writing assistance by Amin Osman and Nora Battelle, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hi there, it's Alastair from Parcast. You may have heard of the Somerton Man, Azaria Chamberlain, or the Wonder Beach Murders. 
But do you know the whole terrifying truth? Be sure to check out my new series, Crime Down Under, where we travel to the land down under to explore the most shocking true crime cases in Australian history. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Crime Down Under, and catch a new episode every Sunday, free and only on Spotify. Spotify.